0: Hello, and welcome to the Teaching in Medicine podcast, where we explore effective teaching of the healthcare providers of tomorrow. I am your host, Dr. Kathleen Timmy. Welcome back to the Teaching in Medicine podcast after a couple months of winter break. Our guest today is Dr. Kristen Vaughn. She is a board-certified pediatric hospital medicine physician at the University of Utah. She completed residency training at the University of Oklahoma and fellowship in PHM at Baylor. And I say board certified because she just passed her hospital medicine board. So congratulations on that. Thank <laughs> you. Um, in addition to her clinical work, she is a course director for the clinical skills and medical decision making course at the School of Medicine. She is also the course director for the Pediatric Admitting Resident Rotation. She has an interest in the area of giving feedback and has led sessions for residents and faculty on this topic. And we have been chatting for a while about reading a book on this topic called Thanks for the Feedback, The Science and Art of Receiving Feedback Well by Douglas Stone and Sheila Keen. They are also the co-authors of Difficult Conversations, How to Discuss What Matters Most, if anyone has read that book. So today is a special book club episode where we will focus on highlights from this book. So Dr. Vaughn, thanks so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. So I'm curious, what got you interested in the area of feedback? Yeah, um, I've reflected on this um, a lot over the past couple of years. And I think it actually started um, when I was much younger. I was a competitive gymnast for many years um, into college. And I think I really gained an appreciation for coaching and the recognition that somebody outside of myself could really help with my growth in whatever skill that I was working on. Um, And as I moved into medical school, and kind of early in my residency, I didn't have kind of that go to person. And I didn't really know how to seek that out. And so a lot of that coaching and kind of frequent feedback sort of fell off. Um, And I think... That kind of ended up manifesting itself maybe a little bit in residency when I got surprised by feedback during a semi annual evaluation that I had. And they started with the question of what happened? And I was so confused. And they went on to say that they were very worried, like everyone was very worried about me my first year. And now I'm one of their strongest seniors. So what happened? And after that feedback experience, um, I really shut down a lot. I think receiving the, like, the most, um, most improved award is always a little bit tough for us. But after reading this book, actually, I recognized that it really was an identity trigger for me and that I thought I was doing fine, and it turned out that I wasn't. Um, and from that experience, I really had an appreciation of not only how critical receiving feedback is to our professional development but also kind of how it's delivered really affects how people take it um and for me being a more sensitive person it took me a little bit to recover from feedback that actually was probably meant to be encouraging and so that's probably kind of some background for um for what got me interested and in, in really the recognition of of why, um, feedback is so important in the delivery of feedback, particularly. Thanks so much for sharing that. That's one of my favorite parts of the podcast is getting to know about people outside of work and medicine. And that's so fascinating that you were a competitive gymnast and, um, I imagine feedback was a huge part of your sport. I uh, grew up dancing, and so I remember like our, our dance teachers as well in the studio was constant feedback um, all the time and expected. And it's interesting um, how feedback is given in, in various environments. But thanks so much for sharing that. Yeah. Yeah, I can imagine. I didn't realize that we had such similar kind of backgrounds. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I danced in college and um, so was tasked with kind of giving feedback to the dancers that I performed with and also receiving feedback. We'd kind of take turns, you know, one half would perform the routine while the other half watched and you'd be paired with somebody that person would watch you and give you feedback. And then you would do the reverse where they would go out and do the routine. You would watch them and give them feedback. And then at the end of the day, you know, you're all expected to be friends and teammates. So there's um, really kind of an art in, in doing that respect respectfully, but also, you want the routine to get better. And so you have to communicate some of those you know, more difficult pieces of feedback. Yeah, I can imagine that um, that gave you a lot of training and foundation and feedback. Um, yeah. Was that kind of the um, the start of your interest as well? Or was there something else kind of along your um, in a professional schooling that, that made you interested in feedback? yeah I think that probably was my first uh experience with really giving feedback was in college as a as a dance team coach, maybe a little bit as a resident assistant, having to communicate rules and um things like that. but yeah, in medicine, I remember receiving some harsh feedback during fellowship. Um, comments along the lines of you know, "How could you be a second year and not know this?" Like you, how do you, you know, how did you get this far and you don't know this information? Um, and comments like that really stung because I was trying what I, you know, my best and putting in putting good effort in. Um, and so, kind of reflecting on on um, you know those moments, I kind of wish I had read this book back then because I could have identified why I was so triggered by those comments and could I find, you know, the truth in that comment and the thing to take away because there really was valuable clinical advice in there too, things I wasn't doing that I should have been doing or things I didn't know that I should have known. But it it's hard to kind of um, separate the two, separate that useful content from the way that it feels and the relationship with the feedback giver. Yeah. Probably more in fellowship, um, did it? come up for me. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Kind of separating the content from the emotion of it is so important. Thanks for sharing. Yeah. Um, You and I have led sessions together on giving feedback, and I feel like that's a skill that we're all encouraged to develop, but if we could take a minute and reflect on the receiving piece of feedback, are there ways that you receive feedback now in your clinical role? Yes. Definitely. Um, I think most of the feedback that I receive at this point, at least from learners, is written um, and after the fact, which I don't always love um, because it's hard to have a conversation, um, especially when it comes anonymously. But I think that gives... Our students and our residents a little bit of time to think and reflect on how the rotation went and how my interactions with them were perceived um, and the anonymity of it allows them I think to be a little bit more honest I always try to sit down at the end of a week especially on service with the residents and have a feedback conversation that's meant to be um, of a two-way street i think that's tough um it's tough for learners to give honest feedback to their attendings um especially if it's critical i do get that sometimes and i think our residents are great about that Um, but i do get more robust feedback in a written format and then from peers um, it's generally much more informal i think for a hospitalist a lot of times our overlap is From the day shift to the night shift and then back again and so if something got missed or if they had a lot of cross cover issues at night some of the my clinical feedback comes informally from them in the mornings when they say you know i was dealing with this all night um and you know that's helpful for me then to think through oh you know i should have broadened my differential or ordered this lab during the day so that they didn't have to do that um, but that's probably kind of the main venues that I receive feedback now. Yeah, I think pretty similar for me. Although I interface with residents a little bit less and interface with our fellows more. Um, I recently had a one-on-one meeting with my division chief, and that happens a couple times a year. And. Was generally, pretty positive feedback, but I found myself using some of the tips from the, the book, probing for more like, what could I be doing differently? You know, what gaps do you see that I don't? Um, and then a lot of written feedback as well from giving presentations and things like that. And I feel like when I used to open um, evaluations, especially after giving a talk for the first time or on a new, new topic. I would just be skimming for the positive, just some validation that I did a good job or my intervention was great. Um, but now I, I feel like I really appreciate some of the more critical feedback, the more constructive feedback, because then I can actually do something differently for next time and then kind of see how that improves the perception of the session or whatever it is. Um, but yeah, kind of similar ways to that I receive feedback. Yeah. I've noticed that in myself too, as I have gained a little bit more confidence in my role Um, as a medical educator and as a physician, it's a little bit easier for me to receive constructive feedback because I don't feel like I'm an imposter quite as much as I used to. And so it it doesn't throw me kind of for a loop like it it has in the past. Yeah. And then imposter syndrome does fade slowly over time, which is good. Um, We probably give a lot of feedback, though, in our roles. Are there common pitfalls that you see in learners when they're receiving feedback? Yeah, I think generally our learners are um, really open to feedback. I think in the clinical setting, it's hard to create time for a lot of meaningful feedback. And so when they do get it... My experience has been that they're very um, open to it and very excited to get it. The instances where um, I've seen some pitfalls is usually when I'm bringing up an issue that isn't already on their radar and is a little bit of a surprise. And sometimes that's met with defensiveness or something that I learned in the book and have a name for now is switch tracking. Um, and so kind of changing the content of the conversation, um, those are probably my two experiences. What about you? Yeah, I think, you know, we'll probably get into this a bit later, but there's the different types of feedback, appreciation, coaching, and evaluation. And, I think sometimes what I'm providing is evaluation to the learners, like how i how I feel like the clinic session went or how the rotation's going so far, and I wonder if sometimes learners, especially busy fellows, um are expecting more appreciation or are in more of a mental place to receive appreciation, and what I'm providing is more constructive, so I think. Knowing what the purpose of the feedback session is, I think, can be helpful from the recipient perspective. Um, I would say if they're just kind of looking for for a boost or, or for some appreciation comment and that doesn't come through, um, that can be a, a pitfall. Definitely. Um, so, I'm interested to know. Um, What kind of motivated you to read this book, other than the podcast, obviously, Um, what was your interest in, in Thanks for the Feedback? Yeah, I can't remember where I first heard about this book. I don't know if it was recommended by somebody who gave a talk or um, I think that that book Difficult Conversations has been on my radar for a little while. And so maybe just kind of knowing about the authors um, of this book. But I find myself giving a lot of sessions on how to how to give feedback effectively and really feel like there's another side um, to that skill set and that equation. And so I really just wanted to understand um, both for when I'm giving sessions to learners, not only how they can start to be good givers of feedback, but how they can receive feedback in the best way and also for myself both personally and professionally i feel like um you know a lot of my training and um you know early on in high school and college was all positive reinforcement you know doing well in school getting good grades earning you know awards or whatever it was i feel like that's probably the story for a lot of us going heading towards medicine and then you know once you have this job that is so clinically important that you need to be a good receiver of feedback in order to take care of good care of patients and good care of each other um i just know that it's something i want to become better at and I think about you know those times in fellowship where I received more critical feedback and really just kind of wrote it off as the recipient or the giver being harsh. Um, I want to be able to respond more gracefully in those situations and and learn from it and grow. and I truly want to be somebody with a growth mindset. so I yeah, part of it was hoping to gain some messages to share and also do better myself, yeah. Yeah, great to hear. It was this book has been on my radar to read for a while, and probably for really similar reasons. Um, recognizing that there's a lot of value in the feedback that we receive, and even if it's not delivered well, um, there's a lot that we can still take away from it, and a lot of growth to be had. So.
1: Um, that's yeah
0: crazy. I love, um on the front cover of the book, they have this post it note that says, Thanks for the feedback, even when it is off base, unfair, poorly delivered, and frankly, you're not in the mood. so mm-hmm. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure we can all relate with being in those situations mm-hmm. <laughs> so because of your general um impression of the book, was there anything that surprised you? yeah, um. There were a couple of things that really, that really resonated with me and things that I didn't recognize before. Um, I think it was framed in a nice way. So one of them, um, they called it the magic 40. Um, and it basically says that, you know, our temperament generally is, is genetic. Like a lot of it we are given. Um, and about 50% of our response to the feedback that we receive can be chalked up to our genetics. But then roughly another 40% we are completely in control of. And as you know, a relatively sensitive person who's bringing a little bit of imposter syndrome with them to these conversations and really wants to do well, and a lot of my identity is wrapped up in... Um, how effective I am as an educator and how good of a doctor I am to my patients. Um, Taking critical feedback, although important, is tough for me sometimes. And I think that that was like a really reassuring thing to know that um, my response and recovery time to hearing difficult feedback, I am in charge of like almost half um, of my response. And so that was something that I took away from the book that I think was both surprising and, and reassuring, I think. Yeah, I I liked that, um, that breakdown as well. And it reminds me of, um, I think, happiness, too. There's a certain amou- amount of our happiness that's genetic, um, but then there's a certain portion that we have influence over and... I think there's a the podcast ten percent happier and um, just kind of focusing on on the small amount that we do have control over. Yeah, I was surprised. Um, I feel like sometimes these sorts of books can be very theoretical, um, but I really liked how how many tangible takeaways there were in the book, like just very practical tips for both professional and and personal environments that I really appreciated. They did a nice job of i um, giving vignettes with you no know, actual names of people um in the workplace or otherwise and so I was surprised by um how easily the book flowed and how much um real tangible applications there were to take away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that always helps information stick better mm-hmm. for for sure. They talked about um feedback triggers specifically in the book. Um and the three being truth triggers, relationship triggers, and identity triggers. And I wonder if we can spend a little bit of time talking about each of those. Yeah, I I think that would be a great place to start. Um, I can kind of give a definition of each of those, and maybe we can take each one separately. Um so they, they were really bringing up um, that when we're bothered by feedback, it's usually for one of three reasons. And so if it's because of a truth trigger, it's something about the substance of that feedback that feels off or feels unhelpful. Then relationship triggers um, can happen when either the feedback giver You don't perceive that they have credibility in giving the feedback um, or they, how could they have the audacity to give that sort of feedback, something about the person who's giving it. And then identity triggers, it happened when there's something that causes our sense of self to come undone, I think is the way that they described it. So we may think we're excellent at X, Y, Z, and then we receive this information that um, is is in contrast to that. So it's kind of an issue with how we identify ourselves. Yeah, there were a few things that resonated with me for kind of all three. Um, I think thinking about truth triggers, and this comes up somewhat frequently, I think, with the feedback that we receive from our learners, um, where it just feels really... And if we have the opportunity to have a discussion about it, I think one of the the techniques or the strategies that they recommended using was to shift from saying that's wrong to tell me more and really understanding where that perspective came from. Like, what is the root of this feedback? And let's get to a more constructive place. I think that that would be really helpful. I think that... The difficult thing that I see for me is that most of the feedback that I get is written. Um, and so it's hard to have that conversation. And I don't know if you have any recommendations or ideas for how to, to dig into that conversation when it's, when it's coming after the fact and not in person. Yeah, that's a really tough situation. Like, you want to learn more about what went wrong or what could be done differently, but the learner has moved on to a new rotation, and you know, I guess you could reach out by email, but that that also gets tricky. You Might not get a response. Um, it might be worth worth a try though. Just saying, hey, I received this feed- feedback. I'm really trying to improve my clinical teaching. Can you help me understand um, better? You know, what I could have done differently. I feel like if I received a message um, like that after providing constructive feedback, I, I I would be willing to provide more detail and actually really impressed that my comments were actually reviewed and, and that they want to improve. I don't yeah. know. It's a tough situation. Yeah. I say that, But I don't know that I would actually do it. <laughs> yeah. I think it's tough too because a lot of the feedback that we get is anonymous. And if it's specific enough about a situation, you know, we might be able to kind of deduce who might have given that to us. Um, but that's a that's another hurdle too. Even just reflecting on it with, with peers or knowing that that might be a blind spot or a gap of yours. So the next time you have students or residents working with you saying, hey, I'm really trying to improve teaching on rounds or whatever it is that the constructive comment was about and then like very specifically asking for feedback in that area the next time around, just keeping it on your radar. Yeah. I love that. Like being really proactive about seeking out feedback in that particular, you know, Mm -hmm. lane. Mm -hmm. One of the things that the book talked about was to be on the lookout for themes. And so I think that's one way to potentially drill down on, on feedback that didn't feel true, um, if somebody keeps giving you that feedback or people keep giving you that feedback, um, that would be a theme that obviously needs to be addressed. Right. I think it's easy to say something's untrue if it's a one-off and it really doesn't feel like your intention or, or what happened. But if you hear it again and again and again, <laughs> there might be some truth there. Yeah. One thing I liked about the truth trigger section um, was just about the three kinds of feedback. Again, that appreciation, um, coaching, which means to help somebody grow, learn, or change. And then evaluation, which is more of a a kind of final summary of how someone is doing. And just being really clear about what type of feedback is happening. Um, And especially if you're a recipient and you're sitting down with somebody to go over feedback. Um, kind of understanding, like, what what type of feedback is this? Is this, you know, kind of a final evaluation? Is this something we're going to talk about over time so you can put yourself in the right mindset to receive it? Yeah, definitely. One of the things that struck me with that specifically is it would probably help if people in the organization or at least kind of your feedback givers and receivers had that shared... um in a mental model of like the three kinds of feedback, to be able to communicate with the same vocabulary, basically, and to know, you know, what they're wanting. I think everybody you know, shows up to a feedback session kind of internally knowing like what they need. Um, but it's hard to verbalize if we don't have, have that vocabulary to draw, to draw from. Mm hmm. Yeah, Knowing that all three are important and maybe they need to come from different people, but that should be part of feedback that anybody receives in an organization, that coaching and that evaluation and, and the appreciation aspect as well. Yeah. How about the relationship triggers? I thought that section was really interesting. Um, you had mentioned the switch track conversations before, and I wanted to go back to that and kind of define um, what it is. And so my understanding, and and correct me if I'm wrong, is that oftentimes you're giving feedback or receiving feedback about a specific issue. And then at some point, the conversation devolves into something else. And So I was thinking about this kind of in my personal life, mostly, but um, receiving feedback that, hey, like this, you know, the, the room looks like a mess. Like, can you at least put away your stuff? That kind of a, that kind of feedback, but then it, it can easily devolve into, Hey, you never pick up your stuff. You throw your work bag here. Like everything is a mess. Everything is all over the place. Can we just try to like put things back where they belong? Um, and you know, what What starts as as one specific thing can easily devolve into something totally different. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's called a switch track conversation. And so um, being aware that that can happen in, in feedback conversations. Yeah, that very much resonated with me as well in my personal life. And, and I recognized that my partner and I... Do that uh, not infrequently (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) when we get into disagreements. Yeah, and I think lesser, but to like a certain extent, that can happen with um, feedback that's given in a professional setting too. And the problem with that is that, and this was my understanding. Additionally, was each person brings their own their own concerns to the conversation and they're really trying to get the other person to hear them and both of them are talking past each other um, about very different topics and it's not landing because the other person is talking about something totally different. Uh, and I think recognizing when that has happened and, and naming that and addressing both individually is really important. I think that's that can be hard to do and and requires really explicit communication um that was something that that came up a lot in the book for me um was just how critical like good open clear communication was in all of our feedback interactions i agree was there anything else in relationship triggers that you wanted to talk about Yeah, I think the thing that stood out to me for this one is to be careful to not dismiss um, the insight of like newcomers or outsiders to the situation. I think that's really easy to do. You know, if we have like a really early learner that's giving us feedback that feels off, I think remembering to recognize that they have a very unique perspective. And especially if they're talking about how you know, they are learning from you how effective your teaching is, there's a lot of value in that. And they're the ones being affected by your educational skills. And so regardless of how it's delivered, I think we should be careful to not discount the feedback of our students, people that seem like outside of our our organization or or what we're doing. Yeah, I think that's great. And remembering perspectives of the nurses and medical assistants are also really valuable, and they may see things that, that we don't necessarily see. Yeah, definitely. I think we had both kind of talked about identity triggers leading up to this. Um, was there anything specific from, from that that you took away from the book? Yeah, I think we talked a little bit about the growth mindset, kind of sh- shifting from something is either right or wrong and um, kind of fixed judgments about about skill sets and moving more towards the like, feedback is an opportunity for you to get better um, so that was one point for me the other kind of phrase in the book that I really liked um, was about trying to identify what this is about and what this isn't about and so remembering that feedback is about a specific skill or a spe- specific clinical encounter. Um just thinking of another type of feedback is patient feedback um that we receive, um both positive and constructive. And so knowing like what this is about, this is about a specific encounter that I had with a specific patient on a certain day. And what this isn't about, it isn't about my worth or value as a physician in sum. Um and just kind of separating separating the two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought about that a lot. Reflecting on the times where feedback has been difficult for me to take in and times that feedback has has felt really hurtful has been when it has disrupted some part of my identity. And so thinking about how to separate the emotion from the content and keeping it narrow, like the feedback is about this one thing. And especially if there's imposter syndrome at play, um, you know, especially if we're new at something, especially if we have sensitive temperaments, like <laughs> some of us do, um, it can be hard to not take specific feedback about one situation and apply it to something in a much bigger context. This particular teaching tactic did not work well. And that doesn't mean that I'm an ineffective educator or that I'm bad at my job. It means that I can grow in this one area or that this particular technique didn't work well. But it doesn't speak to my value as a physician or as an educator. Um, I thought that that, that was really well put, um, on their part. I'm sure I didn't say it nearly as well as they wrote it. Um, but being able to really absorb that, um, was helpful for me. Yeah, I, I agree there. Um, it's always, it's always hard to hear something that doesn't jive with our own views of self, Mm -hmm. but remembering that, You know, feedback are small pieces of data, pieces of information, and that you have to kind of take everything in. Um, They had mentioned that bad news is emotionally louder than good news, so you may... You know, in reviewing your evaluations, you may have reviewed 20 glowing comments about your teaching skills. And then there's that one comment about that one ineffective strategy that was that was attempted. And that's the one that's so much louder than, you know, the 20 other pieces of good information. Yeah, definitely. Um, We have kind of alluded to the three different types of feedback, but I just wanted to revisit those. So there's appreciation, coaching and evaluation. Was it helpful or informative for you to learn about those different types of feedback? I feel like for me, that was one of the most eye-opening parts of the book. Yeah, same. Um, I had never broken it down that way, although having it broken down for me, it made so much sense. Mm-hmm. Um I think when I sit down to give feedback to my learners. It's a lot of like um kind of blurring of all three. You know, we sit down, we acknowledge the things that they have done well. We try to make a point of, you know, giving them some coaching and what they can improve upon. And then our evaluation is kind of based in some of that feedback that they were given. And I think being intentional about separating it is... I recognize really important and as a receiver of feedback it's much less stressful and I can listen to the feedback a lot better if I know that it's coaching rather than evaluation and then being clear about do I have a chance to change this evaluation or is this going to be written down somewhere does this what effect does this have on me um is really important to how I hear the rest of the conversation. And as a giver of feedback, I think it's important to keep those things in mind. Yeah, it really helps to kind of anchor the conversation. And I think it helps in understanding what the relationship is. Like, is this a relationship where I'm con- going to continue to be coached by you over time? Kind of how I see my relationship with my division chief or you know different supervisors of projects where... I'm going to receive feedback, have a chance to grow, keep receiving feedback and eventually you know and end up being more effective at, at whatever it is? or is this a one-time evaluation coming from a learner coming from a patient about a specific you know instance and um, where I might not have the chance to interact with that person again? Yeah. I thought the book did a really nice job of giving like, practical tips in the last couple of chapters about feedback conversations. Um I was wondering if you wanted to to talk about some of those. Yeah, I thought the last I think it was the last three or four chapters really um provided advice about how to have these conversations and then some some good takeaways there. One of the things that stood out to me is there may be situations where you have to create boundaries around receiving feedback and you know maybe more in personal than professional environments. I don't know that we can necessarily tell our bosses like hey I'm just not going to receive feedback from you anymore. Mm-hmm. Um but they talked about a couple different types of boundaries. Um and one of them was not now like I really want to receive this feedback, but now it's not a, a good time for whatever reason. I want to be in a, in a better place either in terms of time or a better emotional place before we have that conversation. And there may be times in certain relationships where you have to say, um, I can't receive feedback from you on, on this anymore. And in order for our relationship to keep um, keep existing and moving forward, I just can't receive feedback on that. And whether that's you know setting boundaries about my parenting styles, my parenting style, and I and I don't want to receive any more feedback from you on that. Um, thankfully, have not been in that place yet, but um, could see you know the the value of establishing those boundaries. And um, so, if it does feel unsafe in the feedback that you're receiving, know that that there are ways to kind of put boundaries around that. Yeah, and I can't remember if this came up kind of in this section of the book. But one of the things that I took away um, in one of the illustrations that I thought was really impactful was the emotional acre. It, it said basically that everybody is born with and everyone has a right to their own emotional acre, like basically an acre of land And you can do whatever you want with your space. You can like plant an orchard or a garden, um, or you can make it a junkyard and collect like a bunch of trash. And that's, that's on you. (laughs) Like that is totally your prerogative. Um, And it's also up to you to create kind of your fence around that acre. Um, And you get to decide who gets to come in and how much agency they have on your land. Um, and I thought that that was just a nice illustration of, okay, these are my emotional boundaries. Like this is, these are the people that I'm allowing into my space. This is what, these are the parts of my acre that I'm willing to share or receive feedback about. Um, but this is, you know, this is mine. Mm-hmm. Um, and I liked that that picture. Yeah, I did too. So like, you can enter my junkyard, but I don't want to hear any comments about the junk that is <laughs> in this corner of my acre. <laughs> yep, exactly. Yeah. Um, there were a couple other things that I, that I pulled out towards the end of the book. Um, one pearl was to try small experiments. So if somebody gives you a piece of feedback that you maybe disagree with, so say, you know, this, this happens with different talks and lectures that I give, like needs to be more interactive, um, needs more time for small group breakouts, less slides, things like that. And if I feel like, no, that content, those slides are actually really important. What if I just did an experiment next time I give the talk, I try to do more interaction more small group stuff and just see, just try the feedback out and see if it works or not. Commit to trying it once, um, and if it doesn't stick, then then you proved that your way was better. Um, but just being open to like making small changes, even if you don't completely agree with them. Hmm. Yeah, I liked that kind of small tests of change, and some of my QI training kind of like crept <laughs> up in this. Um, a lot of the times, it's low stakes too. You know, um, if it worked well, awesome. Like lean into that more, and if it didn't, then you can readjust. But I liked that tactic. Um, especially if it it didn't feel totally on target, um, or if we didn't totally agree, we can try it without kind of fully committing to it. Was there anything else um from the end of the book or any other parts that you wanted to make sure we uh let the listeners know about? Yeah, I think just again kind of reiterating how important it is to communicate clearly about what kind of feedback you are needing or wanting in the moment. Um, Feeling empowered to ask questions and clarifying questions and tell me more. What do you mean by that? And really digging down to the root of the feedback I thought was just so important and something that I don't often I feel like I have the agency to do as the receiver of feedback, but remembering that those conversations are for me and for my growth. And this person is giving their time to me so that I can grow. And so if I'm not understanding what they're saying, or if I don't agree, we should stop and have a conversation about it. And I thought... um just kind of allowing for that and empowering, I guess, myself um, to really lean into those conversations differently, uh, I think is something that I'll take away for the future. Thank you so much for sharing that pearl. And I'm so glad that we finally finished the book and are here today to talk about it. And I hope that if listeners are interested, they can um, check out the book for themselves by Douglas Stone and Sheila Heen called Thanks for the Feedback the science and art of receiving feedback well. So thanks so much, Kristen, for spending time with me today. Yeah, it was great. Thanks again for having me. I wanted to close with the final question about what teaching pearl or piece of advice you would like to leave us with. Yeah, that's a great question. I think this evolves and changes a little bit um, with the seasons <laughs> of education and um growth. I think right now, one of the things that I'm focusing on is to assume best intent of others, especially as we are approaching feedback conversations, either as the receiver or the giver is to assume that the person coming into the conversation with us has best intent. And for me, that has just really um, kind of positively affected my interactions with others. Um, And so as much as I can remember doing that, I think that that's, it's just really beneficial. Well, thank you for sharing. I think that's such a powerful lens to come into a conversation with. And again, thank you for spending the time um, with me today. And uh, yeah, hopefully you'll come back sometime. Yeah, definitely. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to the Teaching in Medicine podcast with new episodes on the first Monday of every month. Please check us out on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter and reach out if you have ideas for new episodes.